When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Climbing's kind of cool in that you can go to the gym and, you know, a 10-year-old girl can outclimb like a fit CrossFit bro, you know? <laughs> so, oh, my God. It's, like, pretty impressive. Like, I feel like there's not a lot of sports that are like that because there's not really any other sport I can think of where many 10-year-old girls could hold their own against, you know, like, fit guys. And welcome to Unladylike, where 10-year-old girls can hold their own against fit guys. I'm Kristen. I'm Caroline. Caroline, when you first told me a while back, Kristen, there is this badass climber. Her name is Kyra Condi. She is going to the Olympics, and I think we should invite her on Unladylike. (laughs) I'll be honest, I had no idea what you were talking about. (laughs) You don't keep up with climbing every day? Well, now I am. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So, listen, the Tokyo Games this past summer was the debut of Olympic climbing. Super cool. Kyra Kondi and Brooke Rabatou were the two Americans who competed in the first ever women's event. It's really exciting. And, y'all, what blew my mind about Kyra is that, as a kid, she had scoliosis and had to have 10 of her vertebrae fused together. So the fact that she's now one of the world's best competitive climbers is honestly astounding. I've always had a lot of, like, bravado almost or, like, um, just a lot of self-confidence. And so if I couldn't do something, I'd be like, huh, I bet I can make myself be able to do this. So not being able to do something, I didn't take as, like, indication that I will never be able to do it. I would take it as almost a challenge to be able to eventually do it. The first time I looked at Kyra's climbing videos on Instagram, kid you not, my jaw dropped. Like, watching her scale these walls and swing her body around, it's just this wild mix of explosive strength and subtle movements. And I'm going to go on her Instagram right now and try to describe for y'all what I am talking about. Okay, here, here is a video Imagine how, you know how you starfish in your bed, Caroline? Okay, imagine that same formation, but you are like up on a wall. Much less comfortable. Yes. So she is swinging her body from side to side, and she manages to fling herself not only up, but also over at the same Mm. time, grabs onto the higher boulder, and then flings her body to a foothold. 
and basically starts the whole thing all over again, back into, like, starfish position. It's incredible. I go for walks sometimes. I can do some yoga. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Yeah, she's impressive, to say the least. So today, we're going to find out how Kyra went from climbing trees in her backyard to scaling walls at the Olympics. Plus, what it's taken physically and mentally to beat the odds and reach the top of her sport. Okay, so the type of sport climbing we're talking about today takes place indoors. You know, so picture a climbing gym wall with all of those artificial holds. That is Kyra's playing field. And competitive climbing consists of three main events. Speed climbing, lead climbing, and bouldering. First up, speed climbing. You know, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's entirely speed-based. And the climb actually never changes, so you're always on the same one. You climb on the same wall in Chicago as you could in Moscow. And um, that is a lot more muscle memory-based and is all about how fast you can do it. Then there's lead climbing. You use a harness and a rope, and you get just one shot to climb as high as you can on a 15-meter wall in six minutes. The higher you climb, the harder it gets. So lead climbing is really all about endurance. And lastly, there's bouldering, which takes place you guessed it, on a boulder wall. It's about four and a half meters tall, so you're pretty close to the ground and don't need any harnesses or ropes. Climbers attempt four different fixed routes in a set period of time. And this event is really where that combination of explosive strength and subtle technique really shines. Bouldering also happens to be Kyra's favorite. I personally really enjoy being able to like make mistakes. So both speed is like pretty unforgiving. As soon as you slip at all, you're getting a lot slower of a time. And then lead climbing also is less forgiving. Like if you do something wrong, you get a lot more tired and you're not going to make it as far as on the climb. Whereas in bouldering, if you mess up, you get to fall and then reevaluate and then try the climb again and you have five minutes to do that. Um, So that's something I really like about it. I also just enjoy the movement a lot more because the movement is really unique and interesting because you do get multiple tries. Uh, they, They can set a lot more like risky, cool movements in bouldering than they can on lead climbing. I also love that you're like, yeah, with bouldering, you can make a mistake and then try again. Because, I mean, you've got like five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) This is such a noob question. But I am curious, like, when you walk out and you see the wall for the first time, are you able to kind of like, do you like mentally like plot, plot the path? that you're going to try to, like, follow? Or is it literally, like, hold by hold, like, figuring out your path as you go up? Uh, you know, actually, you, you nailed it. It's um, We call it route reading. So the, the route is the, is the climb that you're going to do. Um, like, we call lead climbs routes, and we call boulder problems problems. Um, but you usually you'll turn around, and you'll even watch climbers, if you watch a competition, uh, like, mime it out with their hands. Um, because they'll go like, okay, I'll go right foot here. I'll like right hand and then I'll cross over with my left hand. And like you, you fully read the climb and then you get on. And sometimes you have to reevaluate while you're on the wall and kind of go by feel, but you tend to have an idea before you get on the wall. So, okay. What, what is going on in your mind? Like what, what are you thinking in that moment when you have to, compete like (laughs) are you able to stay like is there like a mantra you're repeating to yourself or are you just like totally blank like (laughs) what's going on I I think I get kind of razor focused um like I 
will be really nervous like the night before and stuff, like get a stomach ache and like not be able to stop thinking about potential uh, outcomes and stuff like that. And then when it actually becomes the time to compete, if I'm in a good mindset, I am really just focusing on exactly what I'm doing. Something I worked with my sports cycle a lot was being present focused. And so that's kind of like while you're climbing, you don't want to be thinking about what will happen if I top this. You want to be thinking about I'm grabbing this hold and now I'm putting my foot here instead of thinking about like, oh, I might win if I grab the next hold. You want to be thinking about grabbing the next hold. I think that that's a really good metaphor. <laughs> like, I think we can all use a little <laughs> bit of that. Growing up, Kyra scaled everything in sight. Her crib, monkey bars on the playground, the refrigerator. You know, some kids like always want to swim. And for me, I like always wanted to be like up as high as possible in a tree. Um, I think that was just like kind of natural for me. And I actually know a lot of climbers who like they were the same way. Then when she was 10, Kyra went to a friend's birthday party at a climbing gym. She loved it, and the instructor took notice. And then he was like, you know, like, we have a climbing team here. And that's how I really got started. But I remember just being like, I think my words were that he was annoyingly impressed with me. <laughs> as, as, as my 10-year-old as my self, that's like the, the words I used, <laughs> which is super funny. Um, and then, but that's how I ended up on the team. Before she discovered climbing, team sports often frustrated Kyra. I tried soccer, and that really didn't stick with me. Like, I loved the athletic part of it, but I didn't love the the fact that like I wasn't in charge of the plays we were doing or they could have me sit out and things like that. Whereas in climbing, that's not really an option. <laughs> like If you go to a competition, you are the person climbing and it's completely on you whether or not you win or lose. And I think that really um, suited my personality. Kyra's personality, tenacious and self-confident, also helped her hold her own at the very bro-y climbing gym where she practiced. I was typically like this 12-year-old girl in a gym full of like 25-year-old guys. <laughs> I'm what was that like? <laughs> well, so I think I I've, I've like I've actually like reflected back on this a lot and I think I was pretty oblivious to any sort of like sexism at the gym and I think that's actually a really good thing because it probably could have been pretty discouraging. A few instances stuck out, though, like the time the guys at the gym talked about what type of porn Kyra would be in which they apologized for after Kyra shared that story in an interview. Or another one where somebody told me that, um, you know, like they told my friend, they're like, I don't understand why Kyra's so strong. Like she doesn't really try very hard. And I was like, well, like, why do you think that? Is that just your, you know, toxic masculinity who uh, like getting in the way of thinking that I'm not trying very hard and just writing it off as talent? Um, so like there's been like some situations like that. And I think I've always really held my own against it. Um, and so like I confronted those people when that happened basically immediately, which I think is kind of just a personality thing. Whereas I think there's definitely been women who have been discouraged from climbing because of situations similar to that in the gym. Now, Kristen, I don't think anyone would be shocked to hear that there's a degree of toxic masculinity floating around some gyms out there, but competitive climbing isn't as bro-y as you might think. In fact, there are more women in the top 100 climbers than there are in the top 100 athletes of any other sport. And one reason that might be, Caroline, is because women are scientifically suited to climbing. Get this. Studies have found that our bodies tend to have higher strength to weight ratios compared to men, which might give us a slight physiological edge on the wall. So we're just like a bunch of spiders, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, black widows. Don't you know? <laughs> ah! Ah! 
we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, why Kyra was once told she might never climb again. Stick around and watch out with Spideys. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The classic climber party trick is um, doing pull-ups on a doorframe. <laughs> like, I, I think I was at a college party once that was like a bunch of Marines. And they were like – I was like, I bet, I bet I can do more pull-ups than you. And he was like, no way. And I was like, okay. Like, do you have a bar? And he's like, no. I was like, cool. We have this doorframe. And he was like, no, that's not a like, – you can't do pull-ups on that. <laughs> I was oh. like, all right, bet. Like, we can. <laughs> And how did oh, how did he yeah. react? Oh yeah, he couldn't do one. We're back with Olympic climber and finger pull-ups queen Kyra Condi. And y'all, she can do 20. Oh my god. I, I think my fingers would just fall <laughs> off at that point. Uh now, way before she was showing up Marines, when Kyra was 12 and newly obsessed with competitive climbing, she noticed something that threatened to keep her off the wall forever. I started having, like, pretty bad back pain. Um, but I was the type of kid who would refuse to go see the nurse at school and, like, wouldn't tell my mom if I was feeling sick because I was, like, too embarrassed to tell her. And so, like, I would just tough it out and go to school. And so, like, by the time that it got to the point that it was hurting pretty bad, like, and I was talking about it, like, my parents definitely knew something was up because I just never really complained about things like that. And so I was Googling, like, what could possibly be causing back pain in a 12-year-old because – I felt like an old lady. <laughs> and I found scoliosis, I think, as one of the uh, potentials. Scoliosis causes the spine to twist and curve. It's usually mild, but in some cases, it can be debilitating. I happened to know a guy at the gym who was a physical therapist. And so I asked him, and I was like, hey, do you know how to check for scoliosis? And he was like, yeah, like, you know, like touch your toes. So I touched my toes, and he was like, yeah, you definitely do. You should talk to your parents. Like, go see a doctor. Kyra had S-curve scoliosis. That meant that instead of her spine running straight up and down, it curved at the top and bottom in an S-shape. So when the PT had Kyra touch her toes, one side of her back was noticeably higher than the other. Kyra did some more Googling and found that if the back curvature is between 15 and 40 degrees, she would need a brace. If it was over 45, she would need surgery. And so I was like, okay, well, I bet it's not bad enough to need surgery, but I bet I need a brace. Like, I bet that's what, uh, how this is going to go. And I remember the doctor calling me and telling me it was 52 degrees, I think, when they found it, uh, mm. and that I would need surgery and I should go consult with surgeons. And I remember just, like, bursting into tears because I knew that that meant, um, you know, not climbing for a certain amount of time. Kyra and her parents learned she'd need a spinal fusion. And that involves surgeons basically breaking the vertebrae, realigning the spine, and inserting metal rods that work as an internal cast. And as the spine heals, it fuses together into a single solid bone. And so this first doctor really wanted to completely straighten my back, told me it'd be nine months until I could climb again. 
and kind of didn't understand that climbing was important to me and told me that one day I would have a family and that sports wouldn't mean very much. No. Which, yeah, it really did not sit well with me even at 12 years old. And so I think I just stopped listening at that point when we left this doctor. Uh, my, I told my parents, I was like, I don't want to see him. I don't like him. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to this doctor. Like, we need to find a different guy. Luckily, the next surgeon they went to was super supportive. He told Kyra he was confident she would climb again. So Kyra and her parents decided to go ahead with the spinal fusion. For the surgery, her doctor fused 10 vertebrae in Kyra's back, running from the base of her neck to the bottom of her rib cage. So the original doctor wanted to fuse from T2 all the way to L2, which would have been 12 vertebrae. Uh, and this doctor said that that was unnecessary and that it would actually probably, yeah, decrease quality of life. And so, or more than fusing 10 vertebrae and leaving a slight curve. So that's why he, I still have a 25-degree curve in my back, whereas if I'd gone with the original doctor, he probably would have completely straightened my curve, um, but that's unnecessary. After the surgery, Kyra had to take four months off from climbing. She had to relearn how to sit up with basically a rod running through her back. Even now, certain twisting motions like putting on a seatbelt can be really challenging. But overall, the surgery was a success. But I actually think the surgery came at quite a good time for me. I think a lot of kids take sports too seriously at that age, and then they burn out. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I was maybe approaching that time where I could be burning out on the sport. And so I had climbing taken away from me with this back surgery, and it made me just really appreciate how much it meant to me and how much I loved doing it. And when I was able to come back, I, I haven't stopped for more than a week for vacation, I think, since then. Uh, and that was in 2010. For most of her climbing career, Kyra's fused spine hasn't slowed her down. But as the sport evolves, it's forcing her to confront her mobility issues in new ways. Right. And by evolving, we're talking about changes in how routes up the wall are laid out. Climbs have gotten a lot more subtle. And so you need to do these like really minute movements on the wall that involve like twisting your hips and like, you know, putting your body in these really awkward positions. And because I can't bend the same way as other people, I have to find usually riskier ways of doing the same move. But it's usually quite frustrating because I'll be on the wall and I know what I want my body to do and it just can't do it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Kyra heads to the Olympics and gives us a peek into elite climber psychology. Don't jump off. Unless you get a harness. Yeah, or, or crash pads, yeah. Welcome to day 14 of Tokyo 2020. It is a massive moment for climbing, which made its debut at the Olympics this week. And by the end of this session, we will have our first ever women's climbing Olympic champion. In Tokyo this past summer, sport climbing was part of the Olympics for the first time ever. Kyra's performances in 2018 and 2019 events secured her spot in what was supposed to be the 2020 Games. When she finally made it to Tokyo, Kyra's combined score in the qualifiers put her in 11th place, which meant she didn't advance to the finals. On the bus back from the event, Kyra took to Instagram. She said that while she was disappointed with her results, quote, I am and forever will be an Olympian. A few days later, she got even more personal. You posted this 
really poignant caption on Instagram underneath a photo of you looking like you're having just an absolute blast on the wall. And you say in the caption that like you want to stay focused on on that feeling, the the joyous feeling, because you'd been struggling with feeling like something you couldn't control was holding you back. So what did you mean by that? Like what did you feel was was holding you back? With my back surgery, it is an invisible disability that I have. And I actually qualify for paraclimbing with uh, the back surgery that I have and the lack of mobility that I have because of it. Um, And I think what's really hard about it for me is I have this really um, kind of intense personality of banging my head against something until I'm able to do it, which I'm like totally good with being able to do. And that one just feels like I can't bang my head against it in order to get better. Um, so like if if I can't do a move because I'm not strong enough to pull through on the move, uh, I'm like, okay, I can do one-arm pull-ups. I can, you know, weight train. I can do all these things so that I can get better at this and that's sick. Like it's like this cool and exciting prospect of like being able to get better at something. Whereas if I get on a move and it – like I just need to be able to bend and I just can't, it's not an exciting feeling. And it's just something that I'm going to have to come to terms with because it's just kind of a reality of my situation. And I think there are things that I can get better at around my back and around this limitation that I have. But yeah, it's a little bit uh, harder to wrap my head around than than other things. So I'm curious, what are some of the must-have attributes of a successful climber? I mean, like physical, yes, but but also mental. I think what you see on social media is people just, you know, doing climbs, being successful, whatever. Um, but for every climb that you see on social media, like, you know, there was like 10 to 20 falls that went into it a lot of times. Um, and that can be really hard on your ego if, if you're not used to that, I think. And so that's something that's really important, I think, in climbing is uh, the ability to like both learn from failure and not let it destroy you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like finding the little wins. So like sometimes the win that you have in training is that you got closer to doing a move and not even that you did it. A lot of climbers are quite tenacious for that reason as well. Like we're able to just beat our head against a wall. Um, and then it's also a little bit masochistic for sure, I think. Like your <laughs> skin on your fingers just gets absolutely terrible sometimes. Like you're bleeding out of like three or four of your tips. But it's also just – it's really good if you have like kind of an ADHD personality because it's always different. You never are going into the gym and doing the same thing over and over again, um, which is is really satisfying, I think. Like you can kind of go in and choose your own adventure every time. How has working with a sports psychologist changed your outlook or or your approach to what you do? Yeah, so she's helped a lot. I think something, you know, she recently brought up, and this was post-Olympics actually, was the the fact that I am putting myself in these scenarios. <laughs> so like like it is a choice that I'm doing competitions that there is this possibility that there will be a move that just totally screws me over. Um like, and that is a choice that I'm consciously making to because I love competitions and I love um, doing them and I love the training for it and everything else. Uh, and so that's just something that will come along with that, which is just true. It's like my reality. Uh, and that's something that actually really helped me reframe it all. Um, also, I, I mentioned it, but the, the present focus aspect of competing and staying present in the moment. And so, you know, if there is a move that's really hard for my back or really hard for me, just maybe not related to that um, – you know, not thinking about, oh, like, what if all the other climbs are the same way or blah, 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 blah. Like, staying present in the moment. And then as soon as I'm past that climb, I'm present to the next moment and climbing on the next climb and, you know, whatever reality is on that that problem, like, um, or was on the previous problem is gone. And so now it's focused on this next thing. How 
how long did it take you or, or what did it take to really cultivate that presence on the wall? It was shockingly easy to apply once it was told to me in such like simple terms, I guess. Like it's kind of obvious that you want to be focused on what you're doing while you're doing it. But it really just took somebody kind of telling me like, oh, you should be focused on what you're doing <laughs> while you're doing it in order to do it. Um, the other thing that I think really helped is not like punishing yourself for having those thoughts. So like if you're on the mm. wall and you're thinking like, oh, if I do this, I'll win. You don't want to be like, oh, no, I shouldn't think that. You want to be like, okay, now bring it back. Like I'm doing this move now instead of panicking about the fact that you did have that thought. Over the past couple of years, Kyra has used her platform to call for greater inclusivity and diversity in the sport she loves. Coming has been just something that's really changed my life for the better. And I think the more people that can be introduced to that and um, have that same connection with both nature and sport um, that climbing has, I think would just be better. Like, you know, um, it's it's just good for for people, I guess. <laughs> and I would love for more people to have access to it and have the ability to do it. But not surprisingly, that's easier said than done. Climbing is definitely a super privileged sport. Um, the thing I always hear is that, you know, like the outdoors doesn't discriminate. Like people can go outside no matter what. And that's just not true. You know, there's areas that are really dangerous for certain uh, – for people of certain races to go, um, especially climbing areas. There's like some in the deep south that like, you know, people would be really uncomfortable going. Like there's Confederate flags around and um, things like that. And so that's something that we can really work on. Um I think back in the day, climbing was like quite the like white boys club. And so names of climbs were really disrespectful and not inclusive at all. Um, you know, there's some really sexist ones, there's some really racist ones. And so changing those names and making sure that they're not published in guidebooks and stuff is really important. Okay, y'all, the deal with route naming is that usually the first people to climb the route get to name it. And with a less than inclusive history, you wind up with names like... No joke, kitty porn, that's kitty as in kitty cat, Third Reich, and slavery wall. It's not exactly a welcome sign. Good grief. Uh, and then there's money. I mean, yes, you could just wander into the woods, but you'll probably want a couple hundred bucks worth of necessary accessories like helmets, shoes, chalk, chalk bags, bouldering pads, and all sorts of other pricey equipment to keep you safe. And even going to a climbing gym will still run you about 15 or 20 bucks a pop, not counting equipment. But a lot of people are working to make climbing more inclusive and accessible. On the financial front, there are a bunch of grants out there to fund excursions. And there's one gym in Memphis that's pioneering a pay-what-you-can model. Women and non-binary climbers have also been banding together. For just a couple examples, a collective called Flash Foxy has grown from an Instagram account to hosting its own women's climbing festival. And there's also Brown Girls Climb, which started as a small group in D.C. and now has eight chapters around the country. And the growth of paraclimbing has allowed folks with visual impairments, amputations, and other disabilities to get up on the wall, too. USA Climbing is hoping to get paraclimbing included in the 2028 Paralympics. If someone is thinking about getting into climbing and they're like, oh, that's too hard, or I don't know if it's for me, whatever, what advice would you give to them? Climbing is for everybody. Like You can climb these really steep, overhanging, really difficult climbs. You can climb top rope on really good holds. Um, like, like, there's so many options and there's so many levels that you can do it at. And like, so anybody, like athletic, not, like whatever, 
um, like whatever your size, shape, or um, athletic ability, you can definitely climb. Like you are able to do it. It's something that's really natural for for humans, I think. And um, like you can find enjoyment of it and you can kind of do it however you want. And so I think the more people try it, I think the better um, and, and that you can do it. must go watch Kyra Condi on Instagram at Kyra underscore Condi. That's C-O-N-D-I-E. Plus, if you want to hear from more unladylike Olympians, check out our interview with Team USA weightlifter Maddie Rogers. That episode is called How to Lift Heavy Shit. If y'all want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unladylike Media. You can also support Kristen and me by joining our Patreon. You'll not only get our undying love, you'll also get weekly ad-free bonus episodes like our recent recap of Lula Rich, the documentary investigating leisure wear MLM, Lula Roe. Get it over at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Nora Ritchie is the senior producer of Unladylike. Michelle O'Brien is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Peter Clowney, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. This podcast was created by your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger of Unladylike Media. Next week. So imagine you are 27 and 28 years old. And this is where you start. And you literally are starting at the beginning. And there you are. And all this information is unfolding on your desk. And it's your data and your analysis, along with everybody else at the, at the Commission for Racial Justice. And I, I did not know then that we were busting open this conversation about environmental justice. We're chatting with environmental activist Vernice Miller-Travis. Bernice teamed up with a group of grassroots civil rights leaders to identify for the first time how toxic pollution and systemic racism are deeply entwined in the U.S. You don't want to miss this episode, so make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. And if anyone is, like, white... The Olympics didn't happen last year. <laughs> I don't know. I podcast for people in bunkers. <laughs> Welcome back to Bunker Cast. <laughs> Everything outside is fine. <sighs> Stitcher. 